listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? I'm out of practice in you. <laughs> yeah, indeed. We've been uh, we've been playing some old favorite episodes and, and republishing some stuff from earlier in the year with a big push to begin recording some new stuff for 2023. And uh, it, it's been a bit. It's been a minute, as they would say. Yeah. So yeah. no no pressure on today's guest, but you kind of have to set the tone for the entire year now. It's like season five starting out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a pilot. Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, anytime anybody says something's a pilot, I always think of that exchange early in Pulp Fiction. And uh, when Samuel what's Jackson a pilot? says, what's a pilot? He goes, it's, a, you know, if they sell that show and people like it, I don't watch TV. And uh, he goes, well, you are aware that there is this invention called television. And on this invention, they show shows, which I always thought was a really weird way of saying it. But, you know, <laughs> here we are. See, this is where I, I feel like you're just going to bring up the movie thing so you can like completely uh, impress with your knowledge contrasted to my lack thereof uh, about <laughs> such a thing. But uh, so you win that round. Well, if we get into Dylan lyrics, you'll be uh, you'll be top there, of mind. There you go. There you go. I'll see if I can turn it to that eventually. Why don't we introduce today's guests, though? Absolutely. So joining us today is Rob Patey. Rob is the global marketing director for Balio. Welcome to the Coolering, Rob. Well, thank you. And you pronounced Patey correctly, which happens about one in 10 cases. So I appreciate it. Really? That. What are the alternatives? Uh, Pate, uh, Patty, and then I'll often get people thinking it's a typo uh, and just go right for Patel. Oh, actually, that's what my iPhone did when I tried to reply yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or when I was yeah. searching you out. So, yeah. Huh. Yeah. No, Carmen, Carmen can relate to this, he, you know. People see me, I'm six foot five and blonde, so they know that the Patel is probably off. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this digital age, things are different, though. You know, you're getting introduced uh, blindly. Yeah, certainly. exactly right. Well, look, uh, Rob, let's, uh, let's learn more about the company and, uh, and how you found your way there. All right, fantastic. Yeah, so uh, Balio is a manufacturer of robots, essentially. So we take standard forklift trucks and we make them completely autonomous. So that means no drivers, uh, all robot guidance, all robot pick and place of uh, pallets. How I found myself there was essentially um, I had spent 15, 18 years, I hate going through the numbers at this point, uh, in software and IT marketing, uh, most recently doing a 10-year stint at IBM and then two years with an agency just because I wanted to peek behind the veil and see what you guys do in the agency world. I've been paying for SOWs for 20 years, so I wanted to see what all those line items actually meant. Um, agency uh, shifted direction, so you know we parted ways. Uh, and then I basically, I went out on LinkedIn with my will work for food sign and Valio actually found me. Oh, very cool. It's a, it's an interesting shift from, uh, well, we won't even, we won't even stop at the agency, uh, 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 experience side of it. It would suggest it's a, it's an interesting jump from, uh, you know, a fairly long stint in career, uh, in, in software and tech, um, and to 
I guess, uh, you know, somebody that's kind of quasi-manufacturing space, but very technical, too. I mean, you're in, it's not like you're in a low-tech space. No, no, there's, there's a definitive software and technology bend to what we do. Um, you know, I would say we are as much a software company as we are an equipment company, mm. uh, probably more so. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're getting the standard base trucks from our OEM partners, but really the magic is happening with the software and the intelligence that we apply to the machines. So that's very much within my ballywick. And as far as moving from software and IT services, um, I, I'll be honest with you, if I had to write scalable, flexible, or cloud one more time in my career, I probably would uh, just throw my head into the screen. So I was definitely ready for that mid-career shift into something new and something different to actually try to wax poetic about and push out in the market. You know, I, I think it's important to pause there, Rob, and just say I think it's good for people to hear what you just said because too many marketers think like they, they push to be in tech or they, you know, they, they don't think about... Um, uh, they wouldn't think about a, a, a robotic forklift company as uh, being as uh, as exciting potentially. And what they're not really seeing is that you know, the world of software and tech isn't necessarily uh, bright lights in the big city either. No, and I think what people get wrapped in, and, and they'll do this even within software and tech, is that they will find their niche. Like, I'll definitely use cybersecurity as an example, um, you know, because that's the last group I was in with IBM. A lot of people, you know, there's, so, there's such a bifurcation, trifurcation of what you can market in software and technology that people even get stuck in what I'll call those micro ruts, right? Of I'm just going to do, you know, mobile device management. I'm just going to do cybersecurity. I'm just going to do ERP systems, right? So they even get stuck within those micro niches of what we can do. And I think what they forget is that people are people, right? And we're always marketing to people. And that's the fundamental. You'll learn all of the other stuff as long as you have the core group of skills in place and you know what you're doing from the marketing standpoint. I don't want to say what your marketing doesn't matter, but um, it's certainly not as important as having the tactical skills to get the job done. I mean, obviously you learned some things on the agency along the way, but as you came into more of a manufacturing marketing role, what, what are the differences that you're seeing, you know, uh, compared to what you're experiencing at IBM? One of the big differences I'm seeing, you know, if, if I look at what we did at IBM and even before that, um, digital was our primary focus. It was all digital all the time. And I'll say that manufacturing really hasn't caught up to that yet. Um, manufacturing is still, I don't want to say an early 2000s game, but I am, I marvel at the number of trades and associations and the power and sway that they still hold over, uh, especially your brand awareness and getting your name out into the market. Um, I also marvel at the fact that they all have similar names. I mean, I, I will confuse them on a daily basis. There's materials handling, there's handling materials, there's supply chain and demand, there's demand for supply chains. I, it's, it's, it's boggling. I just recently received a press list from, um, or a trade list from, one of the shows that we're doing and I have, there's over 600 different trade publications that are coming to this. And again, the names just, you know, you get, you really have to squint to be able to see the difference between them. And man, I, I, I don't know what you find, but, um, 
uh, so not to lead the witness too much, I'll just tell you what I have found with it is that uh, most of them um, uh, overstate their effectiveness in reaching their audience of and overstate it digitally. And, and they're still getting away with it. Whereas in other categories, that just wouldn't be the case. Like they, they're still getting away with charging exorbitant rates for almost no reach in a digital property that's 20 years our newsletter is seen by 2000 eyeballs yeah or whatever and i and i read these newsletters and they just seem to be like you know sears catalogs let's you know let's date ourselves and age ourselves why don't we um but you know they just seem to be just catalogs of ads and that's really where you've got to say to yourself you know what is the traction i'm getting from my presence in these and we have so many tools available to us as marketers today to be able to say, you know, let's take a look at your referring sites, go into your HubSpot, go into, you know, whatever your whatever your CRM is or whatever your marketing automation is and see where your referring sites are coming from. And are you getting any traction coming in from these domains, especially because, you know, they're producing these things in digital issues? You know, you should be able to see that they're coming. If people are actually clicking the link in the ad or, or clicking, uh, you know, the QR code that you're putting in there. You know, you really have to monitor and manage it that yourself as a marketer to make sure that you're getting any kind of, you know, ROI off of what you're spending. You know, uh, uh, Rob, how long have you been with the company right now? No, 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 no. Okay, we're going to go there. Uh, a whopping four months. Yeah, so it's it's early days. And I think that's important to Absolutely. note because I guess I'm, my guess is, is that you're starting to see some of the um, uh, enough data to begin to question some of that that trade spend oh that was that was month one yeah you know so this was almost like a reverse order for me as far as coming into this job and that i know i had the marketing skills and i know i had i had that prowess and what's going to be the long tail for me is learning the industry itself learning the lingo learning you know all those subtle nuances i took for granted in it and software but again those marketing principles were you know those marketing practices i should say are something that i could really get into an attack in my first 90 days yeah 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 it uh, uh it, it'll be interesting to see how how the marketing evolves with with you at the helm and i'm uh, you know i've got to think the the category you're in gives you a bit of permission i mean you're marketing robots which has you right. know which, which i think you know, obviously gives you permission to to um, uh, to enter the digital space, maybe more than uh, what some more traditional manufacturers might. You know, quite possibly. I mean, it's it's a matter of really kind of going to where the audience is, and just because I'm marketing robots does not mean that the, you know my buyers, my prospects, still might be flipping through all these trade magazines, for instance. So. I mean, that's still something I have to keep an eye on. But, you know, I'm using that as a specific example. If I look at, you know, again, the biggest arsenal, the biggest tool we have, it's the same from marketer to marketer to marketer. And that's search. I mean, let's be frank with each other. You know, search is search is the cash cow. And that's a game that's changing quite rapidly. Search has, it is, it has, and it hasn't. I mean, there is always that element of search and that, you know, you are in it for a pay to play, right? I mean, they have, uh, you know, Google will always go in and they'll update how they present the ads and, and, you know, what ads are presented. But I mean, it has always been, it has always been an auction house, right? Even from day one. 
I remember when I invested in my very first Google campaign, it was back in 2004, 2003. And I spent uh, a whopping $100,000 with them for the year. They treated me like the king of the castle. I mean, I, the, Google the Google swag that I got for the office was, you know, it came in boxes and crates. A year and a half later, I had a hard time getting anybody to talk to me on the phone with what became then my paltry $100,000 spent. It, uh, when I say it's changing, I guess I, you know, not, uh, I, I could take the whole uh, uh, podcast over and kind of begin to imagine where where search is going as we start to see reports of uh, chat GPT, for instance, being integrated into Bing. Um, interesting to imagine what that could rapidly do to search. Um, sure. And uh, and and Google's position uh, in it, but uh, but nevertheless, um, uh, I, I'm kind of curious. I mean. The market that you're marketing into, material handling, um, I wouldn't say that they're stuck in their ways, but there's, uh, you know, I think that would be maybe uh, uh, inaccurate. But I think the idea of, of getting uh, um, uh, robots integrated into that space isn't, some, isn't um, something that I think maybe a lot of uh, people who have a warehouse or whatever don't necessarily think that that's open to them or maybe that's possible for them yet. Um, I guess how much of that kind of missionary work are you doing and kind of just getting the a lot of people it. to understand the marketing potential? Of it? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, obviously our jobs, if we want to put it in the two highest categories, it's brand and demand, right? So, you know, that that education that robots for you, robots are easy. I mean, what is stopping people from changing? It's a fear of change. Let's be honest, right? It, that's what it boils down to. So then you need to look at what those fear factors are and what those drivers are. And it's always seen as a matter of complexity. So specifically at Valio, we are working to really show people that it's it's simple, right? It is it, you can you can change simply. You can simply change over to robots, and it's not going to disrupt your operations and processes as much as you believe it will. Because if you look at everything on paper, robots make perfect sense. I mean, from a safety perspective from an ROI perspective over time, right? When you when you account for labor and damage to goods and things like that, I mean, robots simply make sense to make the move over. It's all those ancillary things of the management of the robots, the setup of the robots. That's what's giving people the biggest amount of consternation. That makes sense to me. <laughs> Good. Yeah. All right. So you guys are my test audience for messaging. So thank you for validating. <laughs> But um, uh, I get who are you finding to be the earliest adopters of those those kind of the, those segments that are m most receptive to your message right now? Your pioneers, of course, are your large organizations. I mean, they're always going to be. They're the ones that have um, they can afford the time, they can afford the resources to really get into the project and understand it and be able to you know develop and deploy it and you know work with you as a partner on it they get the most leeway to be to be pioneers right and it's it's that way in the software industry it's uh, you know i don't think that's specific to something that's it's manufacturing based but it's it's definitively going to be your large companies that can keep their current operations on a flow and keep them working while they deploy this new technology right because it is a technology it is new 
you do have to have a dedication to it. I mean, as with any projects to be able to make sure that it, it gets up and running correctly. So it's going it, to, it is, you know, if we look at our primary customers right now, it is those large organizations um, and specifically the ones that are in labor droughts, let's say, because I mean, there are definitively parts of the world right now that are having a very hard time filling warehouse distribution center manufacturing jobs. Mm. Everybody wants to be an influencer now. They don't want to, you know, they, they don't want to lift a box. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's long been a bit of a disconnect, uh, particularly in North America. There's a strong political will to uh, have manufacturing jobs come back. Uh, and politically, I think people have one vision of what that actually is. And in reality, the jobs that are in demand in the manufacturing space are quite a bit different often. And frankly, uh, the people sure. just aren't there to do them. Uh, sure. Both both on the, the ones that are more laborious as well as the ones that are more high tech. I mean, they both present the challenges. Yeah. Yeah. How are you seeking out, you know, the these large leader type organizations who are, you know, susceptible or interested in hearing the messaging that you're putting forward to, to get more people thinking about robots? It's really, really easy because robot saturation is still so low. So, you know, you can honestly, you know, I hate to say this because it'll make my job seem like a cakewalk, but honestly, you could kind of close your eyes and point to a map and boom, you're going to hit warehouses, you're going to hit distribution centers, and the chances of them having a robot are very low. Right. I mean, we're we're in the I don't want to say we're in the infancy of adoption, but it's certainly it's the nascent stages of adoption right now. You know, automatic guided vehicles have been around for a very long time. But what's made the shift and what's so totally different now is that, you know, with an automatic with a true AGV automatic guided vehicle, you needed magnetic tape, you needed reflectors, you needed QR codes on the ceiling. Right. So, I mean, that left you in more of a green field situation right where it was when people were creating a new warehouse they were accommodating for all of these infrastructure changes that needed to occur to be able to bring in these automatic guided vehicles what balio does specifically and we are only one of a handful of companies that actually do this is that the brains are built on board right no magnetic tapes no strips no reflectors nothing to your infrastructure all the brains are on board as i like to say you know, if I'm being pithy with things, you know, I say we're brawn and brains combined with the robots that we build. So, you know, enough strength and power to lift and then, you know, the intelligence inside to be able to guide itself around your warehouse or your distribution center environment using basically LIDAR and SLAM navigation. So I appreciate that you could pretty much uh, throw a dart at a map and you're going to hit um, a warehouse that could potentially use what you sell, but you still have to get in the door and talk to them. Um, uh, so is it largely just trying to get the sales folks to uh, knock on the doors or do we have something a little bit more advanced at play? We have something a little bit more advanced, obviously. We're, um, you know, we're, we're doing... We're basically really uplifting the digital prowess of what we do and making sure that there's a high qualification of who we go after. So, you know, it's it's I wouldn't say that we're at the point yet where we're purely in an ABM state, you know, an account based marketing state. Um, but we're certainly hyper selective of those organizations that we're picking up the phone and we're making the calls to. And we want them to be scalable as well, right? We want those organizations to be able to say, okay, we've bought one robot, we've tested it out, now let's get ready to deploy our 
fleet of 10. So, I mean, we're, I don't want to say we're turning people away, but we are, we cautiously vet to make sure that they're the right organization for, for, for a robotic solution. That's a nice place to be in. It really is. Yeah. yeah. Helps keep the polarity of the sale uh, coming your way a little bit, which is nice. There's a lot of interest. I mean, there's, you know, the, the robot market is going to grow, you know, the robot market has grown, you know, tenfold over the past 10 years, and it's going to grow another 10, 20 fold over the next 10 years. If you look at what, you know, all the uh, prognosticators say when they look into their crystal ball. Um, so, I mean, there, there is that hyper interest in it, but, you know, we want to do what's right for the organization as well as what's right for value. So, I mean, there's part of it that really does require that kind of careful vetting to make sure that they are robot ready or to use a term from Seinfeld, let's say robot worthy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you, you, if you do put trade publication ads together, that has to be the tagline. Are you robot worthy? Can I tell you though, it it, it does not transcend <laughs> it does not transcend across all geographies and it can be a very uncomfortable conversation to explain, you know, the sponge worthy reference from Seinfeld. <laughs> I can imagine those conversations. It just yeah. flew in town and offended everybody in the first three seconds. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Bonjour. <laughs> Are you robot worthy? Uh, yeah. You know, to be fair, robot ready is a little bit more uh, flows yeah. off the tongue quite nicely. So, uh, some some options beyond uh, beyond the scalable, flexible cloud uh, that you uh, had to save for fifteen years or whatever. Exactly. Well, and again, with the software and IT, it was, it was just this sea of sameness that I could not get past. That it was no matter who you went to, that's what they were putting as their buzzwords into the advertising. Jeff, you had a question, I think, before I interrupted you. You know, the, the scale and cloud thing is the equivalent of the uh, sustainable green and, and everything else that you see in the sea of sameness in like packaging manufacturers that we certainly see. It It is really hard for people to kind of separate from their competition when, you know, it's people, quality and uh, service are, are your are your core competencies or, or put up. I was just going to say, I have a theory on that. You know, search has been one of the greatest door openers for marketing, but it has also been one of the drivers for us all to produce this sea of pablum that we're forcing people to imbibe because we're all trying to capture the, this small core set of keywords. And so we all go running after chasing them. It's, yeah, it's like when I look at Twitter or um instagram and i look at hashtags because you know when hashtags first came out every executive was breathing down your neck oh you know we got to capitalize on hashtags we got to capitalize on hashtags and i just said but look at the hashtags look at who's sharing them uh you know it was just this self-serving circle of marketers that you know when you scroll through the first 20 mentions of the hashtag it was all marketers no buyers right so i mean we, we were all kind of almost chasing our tails in regards to in regards to kind of capturing that that zeitgeist to the moment, but were we really? Yeah, I have a I have a much dirtier term than I'm not going to say on the podcast for this, but um, of how we were all just kind of talking to one another, right? Then rather than actually talking to the market, but that 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 same sea of words, and it goes for the flexible, scalable, and cloud as well. I mean, that's a direct result of search and us trying to capitalize on just a small 
set of keywords that have the highest search density. So it begs the question, because I would have to think anybody else selling robotic technology into warehouses is using the same value prop. They can uh, save uh, a savings over time, total cost of ownership, especially versus um, staff, the safety components, et cetera. How are you thinking about uh, distinguishing your firm from that sea of sameness in that space? Really, it's the simplicity of change. And I'd say where, we're, where we are unique in this regard is that we're building the tools to make the deployment of those benefits easier. Right. I mean, there's, you know, from from costing and scoping out a project to actually, you know, building the software and building the logic behind, you know, what makes how the robot moves around the warehouse, how it, you know, how it lifts, how it places, where it does all these activities, where it does the transfers. Who's going to win in this regard is the person that can make it most easy and self-serving for the client. So, I mean, obviously there's this time where you're working together and you're a partner, but at a certain point in time, you also have to have that handoff. So whoever builds the tools in place that are going to make that handoff the easiest and make the, make the organization the most self-sufficient moving forward with building and maintaining the robots or managing the robots, that's the person that's going to win. And that's one of the reasons, that was one of my first thoughts when Valio approached me, obviously, it was, you know, I kind of looked at that. And then when we talked a little bit more that, uh, that ideal of our CEO to be able to make this something that is so easy to manage, so easy to um, so easy to run within the environment as you know, using a timesheet and flipping an on switch, which is what they're doing today from a manual standpoint. That's that's who's actually going to differentiate, and that's who's going to lead the pack. And as I said, you know, this this infrastructure list, this this way of um, you know, the brains on board for the robot, that's, that is unique. I think it's uh, pretty interesting for people to think about that. Like the notion of, we're basically saying we're going to invest in competitive differentiation that really comes to life in the onboarding kind of early adoption phase, but it's kind of, you're not going to get this benefit until post-purchase, right? It's a, it's like something that happens after the buy stage, but we're going to use that as our as our way to win and promote that, obviously, in our earlier awareness stages of the buying journey. It's a, just an interesting way of thinking about it. I, get, I, I mean, yes, I've heard lots about you know, ease of use, ease of implementation, or, easy, uh, or ease of change management um, uh, being a hook, but I, I guess I hadn't really thought about it through the lens of that full kind of 13, 14 stage B2B buyer's journey and just how far down that we are when we're talking about onboarding, but how it can impact early. And I think where we get lost in this whole buyer journey conversation, because, you know, especially when I was with the agency, you know, I mean, I've done, you know, thousands of content maps where we get lost and where we get misguided in the buyer journey is that sometimes we have to bring that lower level up to the forefront, right? It's 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 not enough to simply try to get away with three key terms in your awareness phase, right? Sometimes you really do have to get into the nitty gritty at a higher level, right? I mean, we, we get so averse to talking about features and functionalities these days in the where and the awareness phase, and I just think there's 
that's myopic of us as marketers to, to think that. And also, you know, we have to realize that people are in all fluxes of all stages right now, right? I mean, the funnel we've known has been dead for years. It is absolutely an intricate web that we're looking at from a buyer journey standpoint, you know, with the user in the middle, uh, going wherever the hell they please, right? I mean, awareness, consideration, evaluation, purchase, uh, they all almost overlap on top of each other. And the other thing we have to be very aware of is that it's happening much faster than marketing can react to, right? People are moving from that awareness to that consideration, to that evaluation, to that purchase way quicker than we can build assets, way quicker than we can even get in front of them. It's almost when you launch something, when you launch a campaign, when you launch your plan, you almost have to have it all at once. You can't even build it in phases anymore as a marketer. Yeah, because you're going to have people at those various phases from the get-go, you know. People yeah, are starting are. from different places, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and much of what you're trying to tout or what much of what you're trying to, you know, espouse, let's say, in this education phase, there's 20 other sites that have done it already, right? I mean, unless you have something that's really unique and really new to the market, there's 20 other places that the users are going to get that information, and they're going to trust that information a hell of a lot more than if it's coming from a company. Hmm. I, I do think you know, what you said a, mo a moment ago is worth emphasizing, you know, is there are an awful lot of marketers who are pushed to talk about deep features and all that at every stage of, of the journey, whether they're educating or, you know, informing somebody who's already kind of made the decision to, to make this kind of purchase, but maybe not with your specific brand, you like choosing when to roll out information and not giving too much away too soon is just, it, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of an art, I would say. Oh, it's, it's absolutely an art. It's, it's absolutely a science. And in my experience, and again, this was, you know, again, we're great learning experience from the agency standpoint, because I was able to look at and work with 25, 30 different companies. It really boils down to time and budget, how much you try to stuff and cram into each part of the journey. Right. I mean, there's if you've only have the budget, you only have the time to produce two assets that year. Um, yeah. You know, you're going to produce you're going to produce documents that are 12 pages long and cover almost every stage of the journey in one document. I think, too, it's important to recognize the further you move into that. Um, you know, if we think about the awareness stage of a buying journey and kind of break it down a little bit. Uh, choosing to uh, be active in the more unaware uh, stages of that journey, um, you know, comes at a cost uh, that's higher than the cost of being active in a in in later parts of the buying journey as a marketer. Um, I, I think that marketers sometimes they it's easy to get excited about oh we're going to do the the missionary work we're going to educate the market and it's like yeah you don't have the budget to educate the market. You can't afford to educate the market. You're not IBM. You know, IBM could right. educate the market, <laughs> right? Right, and could, and could spend all day doing. No, that's a great point, Carmen. It's, you know, there's there's the two things you need to consider. There's the message that you're going to deliver, and then there's the tactics of how you're going to deliver it. And it's really in the awareness phase. The tactics are so costly that you can't have a ton of messages at your disposal. So you have to be very careful. Well, look, we could go on forever, but uh, 
We are probably reaching uh, the end of the show today. I'm curious, uh, Rob, you've been at this a while, and you've uh, you've uh, seen some stuff in tech and, and software. You're now uh, in the industri- in the more manufacturing space, although I, I appreciate um, certainly not industrial manufacturing per se. But I, I guess I'm just curious if you had the benefit of being able to go back and tell your tell the young Rob who was just starting out in marketing, give them some advice, what would you give them? My advice would be, that's a great question. Um, make sure you stay focused on the trends and technology, which is something that I've always done because I'm kind of a nerd. I mean, as we were prepping for the podcast, obviously I was talking about video games for the first, you know, 10 minutes we got on the call with each other. So, I mean, you know, I, I love the, I love the technology to begin with, but I mean, that is, that is really what I would tell my younger self is that, you know, don't be afraid to experiment with something new and to push, push that envelope. You know, we get so lost and so mired in results and, you know, uh, immediate and fast return on investment that sometimes that you can't spend the time you need to with the new marketing technologies that come at your disposal. Also, you know, I mean, I would tell myself, you know, don't fall for false promises because, you know, I mean, I, if I can count the number of hours that I wasted on Facebook campaigns with a certain organization because we thought it was going to be the end all be all, I would like to get those moments in my life back. <laughs> if not the money. No, the money most assuredly. It's gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We held, I, I helped pay for development of the metaverse. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I think we've all paid a bit of a tax on that at some point. Exactly right. <laughs> I've enjoyed the, I've enjoyed the chat today. Thanks, Rob. So am I. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Cheers. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.